0: Alright so hello everyone and welcome to another episode. This one is a brand new episode so I realized that my method before in making or uploading podcasts was somehow somewhat inefficient because I tried to, uh, how do you call that, to merge all the segments into one episode. I did not know it would look like that. I really thought each segment would be like one different episode. So. But then I realized once I checked on Spotify and other platforms, I could not view all my segments per as episode. It will be like uh, one whole episode from the start to finish. So it's not really easy to navigate as I've noticed. So I, I've then decided that I would create separate episodes every time, every time we have a new discussion. So we'll, that is right now, you are now listening to episode number two for for this subject so so by the way you are here right now to listen about the contemporary world particularly on the subject of the global economy so let's not add any more more talk since this is going to be a very long discussion about the global economy and in fact it's one of the one of the quite technical discussions on international or global globalization itself So before we dive into the learning outcomes for this 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 podcast so one of the prominent features of globalization is in itself the improvement or the globalization of economy. So basically what you see right now so everything you own everything you have there is a high chance that this one is is technically a result of g- economic globalization so uh, you should check your phones where is it made of or check your bags check your shoes or or whatever things you, what that's in front of you like the fact that what you're listening right now or what platform you're listening right now is a result of economic globalization and it's one of the biggest features of co- the contemporary world and we might trace the origins of economic globalization way back into the post-war economic order, and that is before the end of World War II, and then the creation of the Bretton Woods Conference. So, by this, the Bretton Woods, Con- the Bretton Woods Conference is, is is established to to make states or to make economies integrated. So, to make our To make globalization better, to make our trading and sharing of goods and services, or exchanging of goods and services faster and better, we integrated our markets. So basically, this is what we are going to study and learn for today. So by the end of this lesson, we will discuss the historical background of the economic globalization or the contemporary global economy elaborate the role of multilateral institutions and what these institutions are explain the emergence of multinational firms and evaluate the competing views on economic globalization so where should we start when we talk about economic globalization well again as i've mentioned earlier the good a good basis to examine it is way back towards the end of world war ii after world war ii the the countries were victorious seek to imagine an idea that we should relive or we should bring back the glory days on that was given on the classical gold standard so like trade was very good and countries were economic economies were booming because we had a very integrated market from one country to another so in order to do that, let's create another another way to integrate integrate our markets, and hence the emergence of the Bretton Woods Conference. So, what is the Bretton Woods Conference? So, what the Bretton Woods Conference is basically is it's of course a conference, a meeting with 44 Allied nations or 44 countries who are part of the Allied allied bloc and they decided to have a meeting this is post-World War II on July 1st to the 22nd 1994 to talk about making a stable monetary system and an open trading system that will help prevent another Great Depression and of course promote freer trade, and support economic rehabilitation efforts, especially for those who were ravaged by World War II, like for example Germany, Japan, the Philippines, etc. It it then eventually led to the creation of the following institutions that we are, I believe, familiar of right now, like the World Bank, the International Monetary Fund, and the general agreements of tariffs and trade so if you don't know these institutions you should know them one way or another you could look look it up on google but we will discuss more about them later so first first institution that we're going to talk about is of course the imf i believe if you're filipino you're very much aware of it because it really played a very important role in our history particularly on the 1950s through the 1980s and even up until today so it's an institution that supervises the fixed exchange rate system and help address countries balance of payments problems so it basically facilitates the international monetary system so when we talk about Regulating the dollar value from one country to another, it's the IMF and the World Bank who will compute those values and set the standards. So basically, when we we do exchange rates, that 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 how do you call that? Um, that responsibility in in dictating or telling how, or computing for what exchange value it your currency or your country's currency is in dollars is determined by generally, particularly the IMF for the International Monetary Fund. So next we have the World Bank. It's it's created to rehabilitate states devastated by war and address poverty and of course give funding for development. So that's why when we talk about World Bank, it's where it's basically where countries, especially third world countries or developing countries can ask for financial loans for development and of course one notorious uh, country that constantly avails for the services of the world bank and imf is particularly the philippines itself in fact we have we still have uh, trillions of debt i don't know the specific number right now but we are still accumulating debt in fact Wow. I'm not gonna go into details anymore of the, of the Philippine debt because it's gonna be a long discussion. And last we have the General Agreements on Tariffs and Trade or what we call as the GATT. So basically GATT is there to create uh, a standard that would promote free trade and of course facilitate the free trade system. So basically on especially particularly on World War II once that happened or even before World War Two countries were very nationalistic. So when they say nationalistic it's not like, like love for country or whatever but basically it's still related but when we talk about a nationalist economy it's particularly focusing on the income and revenue of that economy mainly circulating inside the country itself. So in other, in other words trade was somehow uh, uh, not not as free as free as as it is today so if you want something from the United States like right now you can simply just go to go online and go to Amazon and order that product or or whatever there are so many methods but back in when free trade was not a thing and uh, national economies were it were the standard were, were what's what's appealing to especially during war times during war times trade is not really a good how do you call that a good venture for merchants but rather they really focus on national economies to develop their military so they try to make more money in they try to keep the money inside the countries rather than circulating them in and out from one country to another but after world war ii they tried to see that national economies are not always the greatest thing for country to develop so they basically tried to make it a more freer and more more uh, less levied trade taxes and tariffs so that's why the gap existed also, we have another another institution that facilitates trade and that is the World Trade Organization. So unlike the primary three institutions, they, they were established during or around the 1940s. The World Trade Organization is established in 1995. So World Trade Organization technically focuses on promoting free trade and uh, our liber- liberalizing trade and also settle trade disputes from one country to another and also world trade organization can can have a certain degree of power that would grant economic blockades or or penalties for countries who are not really into free trade or are are, are very roguish about their behaviors in terms of of liberalizing trade so tactically there is some teeth with uh, World Trade Organization. So let's take a look at historical development or the historical background of what shaped our uh, our contemporary global economy that we, we, we live in right now. Let's go back during the Cold War. If you're not familiar with the Cold War, this was when after World War II there was a great conflict between two major uh, superpowers particularly United States and the USSR or the Soviet Union so during this period the United States took an active role to manage the global economy uh, that's also basically why the Bretton Woods conference was was held in the United States so U- US then announced the Marshall Plan to help Europe so what is the Marshall Plan well, the Marshall Plan is also known as the European Recovery Program. This is made or established by the United States to give aid for western for countries in western Europe that were were ravaged or destroyed by World War 1. So, it, it it was enacted enacted on 1948 and gave around 50 billion dollars of aid. I don't know if that's computed inflation right now but during that time they spent 15 billion to help uh, rehabilitation efforts for countries in the Western Europe for example countries like um, uh, UK France Germany Belgium Switzerland were were given aid or were part of or were part of the, the countries who received aid for the Marshall Plan and going back so it supported the Bretton Woods system since the post-war international monetary system depended on the US dollar. So if to, to give a basis what how different the Bretton Woods system is. So back in the classical gold standard where basically what Bretton Woods is trying to replicate to, to, to replicate how efficient trade was during the classical gold standard. So basically when you have money, so that certain number of money, that monetary value is backed up by its weight in gold. So let's say for example, uh, in Philippine context, let's say 1,000 pesos is around, let's say, um, 10 grams of gold. So that's basically how it works. But the Bretton Woods system works differently because instead of using the gold or pegging the gold as the standard, they use the dollar instead. So basically, saying that your value or your currency of your money is backed up or is pegged in not anymore the gold but on the dollar. And of course, the dollar that the dollar that United States has is based, of course, in the gold reserves that it also contains. Of course, to make to, to avoid inflation of as well so it was then because of the Bretton Woods system that it first fully negotiated international monetary system so the cash exchange or like money exchange or trade was somewhat functioning during this period and 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 were flowing because of of the Bretton Woods system and of course you would argue that oh, it's it failed sometime in the future right of course it will fail and we'll get to that eventually but basically the Bretton Woods system has two main goals to achieve first is to create a stable international monetary system so what is the international monetary system in the first place we've been talking about that a lot now so what is it so basically it's, it's how countries manage the exchange In terms of the value of the money let's take let's say for example uh, how would I determine how much my one peso is worth when I go to another country so if we make it based on the direct exchange so it's pretty much subjective like for example if I I go to Japan and I'm bringing ten thousand pesos with me how do I know that how much will my ten thousand pesos be worth if you without without the US dollar as the exchange rate so it's it's going to be subjective right so Japan and the Philippines can decide bilaterally or oh, let's decide with one another how much the exchange value of it will be so in that case Japan will have to decide on various countries simultaneously as well so Japan needs to decide how much its exchange rate for South Korea is For China for for US so it gets a little more complicated because there is no standard so there is no standard monetary system that creates the monetary values that how how the exchange rate should go and this is why the Bretton Woods system was established to, to become the international monetary system to become the standard of exchange so that's why when we exchange money right now we don't exchange it directly for yen like let's say 10,000 pesos is how much in, in in yen, so it's around roughly 18,000 yen or 20,000 yen. I'm not very particular because the exchange rate is fluctuating. But it did. It was not because of the direct exchange, but rather it's based on the value it has in dollar. So instead of going directly from Peso to yen you have to go first to peso and then dollar and then dollar to yen so that's basically how the international monetary system works making dollar as the standard exchange value or the monetary exchange standard so that was also the same back in the classical gold standard where it was gold that created the value of exchange rate so in other words how much uh, how much grams of gold can I buy using my currency so that is your fixed exchange value so technically your mo- your money is priced in the weight in gold so that you can use that as the basis for to- for you to exchange monetary currencies so with this using the dollar as a standard exchange rates become manageable so it also tries to achieve domestic autonomy in pursuing economic policies what is domestic what does the domestic autonomy mean so you don't need to 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 when we talk about domestic autonomy you don't need to to ask for advice every time in the institutions of how i should go about with my with my economic actions but instead you have your own freedom to have to 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 facilitate your economy it's basically giving you sovereignty over your own economy so that is what the Bretton Woods system tries to to achieve so states are capable to manage their economy themselves and there is a stable international monetary system so there was a problem prior to the Bretton Woods system is that when you create a stable monetary system some of the autonomy is lost because you rely on the free trade market while if you focus really on the autonomy of states a lot of the monetary system is not as as fluid as it is because it's controlled so basically these two goals when we talk about managing the international monetary system is highly unachievable for both so it's always one over the other like let's say for example, if I want to focus on a very stable international monetary system the result would be giving making you a an, eco- uh, an economy that is very much pretty much dependent on the, the system itself because of course in order to create a stable monetary system policy. But if you put more autonomy or more role of the state towards the economy, you cannot really create a stable monetary system because you are simply the one managing the economy itself. You're not letting the economy run its actual courts. So that is why in the past there was always a trade-off between these two goals. So they cannot be achieved together at the same time. So one must be given up over the other. So this is what the Bretton Woods system tries to address, to to make a balance between these two goals that are somewhat in itself, how do you call that, in itself, uh, elusive. So they can can really be both together at the same time. So basically then, how, (laughs) I've been using basically a lot. So how does the Bretton Woods system work in this regard, oh I'm sorry, let me just, Pause this for a second so how can it help the states or economies function better so so one so one 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 method is like for example if the state is suffering temporarily for of balance of payment disequilibria so the IMF would provide medium term loans to that state so what is uh, balance of payment? In itself so basically balance of payment I'm sure you've heard of this term already in the previous discussions so that is what you or it's the balance of payment between a country's exchange from another let's say for example uh, I trade my bananas for for your cash for your dollar so there should be a balance of payment between that so that means your your banana should not be very cheap That. I could be earning less than than my national economy so basically you have a balance disequilibria in that situation so for you to to improve your economy so you will create great <coughs> uh, fundings or so you need funds to improve your your economy in itself so that's why IMF provides you with funds so that the government can create institutions and can create services that would promote economic growth in your country and if this the country itself is suffering from a fundamental balance of payment problems like it's not anymore disequilibria it's simply just because the state is facing uh, so many problems in its economy so instead of just giving funds alone the IMF can change its state uh, can change its exchange rate that's why uh, if your country is performing very bad in its economy its exchange rate to dollar will become higher so in the Philippines we have this we have this uh, connotation or idea that if the dollar value goes higher it's it's good for the Filipinos when in fact It should be something that we should not achieve more because the Filipinos, the Filipinos actually believe that if the dollar gets higher, it's more, how do you call that, beneficial for us because of our OFWs. So when they send money back in the Philippines, they would earn a higher, higher rate than, 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 than before. When in fact, it's, it's that sign alone is really showing that the philippine economy is, is not performing well that's why it's suffering from balance of payment problems and thus the imf increases its exchange rate so you should wish for actually a, a lower value of dollar exchange rate rather than it becoming higher because the higher it is the, the unideal it should get in the economy and the prices should also increase so not really a good situation. So, how does this make the exchange stable? How does this make the monetary system, monetary system stable? So, the key to its stability is actually the U.S. dollar. Meaning, states peg their currencies to the dollar because, of course, it's uh, during this time, the United States was the leading country in terms of of almost more almost all all aspects especially in economic wise so they made their standard or their value of exchange based on the dollar so technically all of the world's money should go through uh, the exchange or the value that is set by the united states and and of course if the, the bad thing there is that if the united states economy would fail then it would affect so many economies as well but we will go there soon Uh, we will talk about its fall later on so the system facilitated world trade and investment as well and the system depended depended on liquidity and international confidence created by the u.s economy so why did it work simply because the united states during this period is a very uh, uh it's a very performing economy that a lot of countries really place their confidence on United States. So once we create a stable monetary and financial system, what comes after is countries very are gaining confidence in engaging with trade from one country to another. So we then lead to uh, we then go to the international trade system, and this is where they established GATT or the General Agreements of Tariffs and Trade. So it's an interim agreement to lower trade barriers among countries. And also the creation of the International Trade Organization was envisioned but was not really accomplished because we have no ITO now. But instead we have something different which would happen really much later on, on, particularly on 1994. That is 55 years since the creation of GATT. And that is what we know now as the World Trade Organization. So we are now... Uh, wait so I've mentioned earlier that the Bretton Woods system failed right that we're not using the Bretton Woods system anymore so how, how did it fail so th- though as I mentioned earlier I told you earlier that the main problem of the Bretton Woods system is that it's so much uh, fixed on the performance of the United States that if United States does not perform well it will affect so many countries so basically that's it there was a time in history where United States did not perform well especially starting in the 1960s where the US economy declined and European and East Asian countries were actually developing so in the 1970s the the world or the global economy slowed down per, 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 uh, primarily because of the global uh, the oil crisis this is where uh, this is also a very uh, a very crucial period for the united states because united states was experiencing a very very deep repression oh, sorry uh, sorry not rep- not depression okay it's a recession because of the inflating value of oil prices and this was also particularly or this really escalated or this problem ballooned up especially with the united states uh how do you call that Uh, expenses during the vietnam war which they did not really uh win against so they spent much spent much of funds and crude oil on the Vietnam War that it, it led to the ballooning of the value of gasoline or crude oil, which then affected so many countries. So that's why in the 1970s the prices of gas, gasoline, and crude oil skyrocket. So this also led to a very bad day for the US economy, a very, very bad year. In fact, so quite a long time. So this led to the abandonment of the Bretton Woods system because there, the US cannot perform anymore as as great as it it once did so the US eventually said that okay we have to stop it and and that's the end of the Bretton Woods system so in the trading system while at first states states adopted free trade policies they eventually pursued protectionist policies such as subsidies and export restraints so this was also not really good for other states because they really don't have or their their confidence in trading with one country to another somehow lessened so they opted for protectionist policies and started to to have very nationalistic economic policies to to further uh protect their own economy so I've been mentioning about protectionist policies and and free trade so what's the difference between these two so when we talk about uh, protectionist policies these are policies that really uh, promote national economic growth and disregarding the international economy or the international market so basically these are economies that focuses on developing their own economies internally so they do not really rely or engage with free trade while free trade economies or we could also call liberal policies focuses on free trade interactions because it's cheaper it's faster and it's it's to a certain extent better especially for already rich countries but this is not the case for poor countries So let's try to discuss or enumerate one by one what these two are. So for liberal policies, they really focus on three main things, liberalization, deregulation, and privatization. When we talk about liberalization, this is the opening up of markets, meaning uh, countries are free to trade or are given trade are given less trade restrictions from one country to another deregulation is to deregulate the role of the government in controlling the markets meaning there is more freedom in in, in how the market set the price or there is freedom in what to produce to whom to produce when to produce etc etc and privatization is that a lot of people can own and invest on private companies so basically there is no there's also less state-owned markets or companies so it's more on a very private and liberal economy type while the protectionist is uh, ideally the opposite so so instead of liberalization they have tariff and non-tariff barriers and positions meaning they do not encourage uh, uh, how do you call that Uh, trading with other countries but in fact They promote developing how do you call it Um, developing their own economy on their own so meaning a good example would be supporting local goods or services over international or foreign products so instead of deregulation there is tight state regulation and subsidies so so countries who are which are very protectionist tend to focus on Giving more subsidies for the government, uh, for the for the market. say, like, for example, uh, I believe that my my booming market or industry in my country is farming or agriculture. I'll give subsidies so that these countries or these these industries can develop on their own and and create more or a better performing market for for my country for my economy. And there is also tight state regulation, meaning you control. What to produce, to whom to produce, where to produce, something like that. And there is also import quotas, meaning there's a limit on how much uh, international goods we can we can trade with or to, we can receive with. So, in order for for these economies not to give so much money outside of the country, and and there is health and environmental standardization, where where basically the it's what health and environmental standardization is is that the government will be the one to set what what how do you call that uh requirements is it like requirements or like what uh standards should be oh yeah basically standards should these uh industries aim for in order to 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 perform better so they're unlike in a free market where the the government does not really uh create standards for how you you let your industry work on but instead it's on your own free will because you will try to do what's best for you because that will give you the most profit but here in, in protectionist policies they they create the standards. so basically what uh what these things are are like for example in restaurants there is like uh sanitation so meaning they need to follow a certain code or health standard if they don't follow if they fail to meet those standards they are are how do you call that they are taken out of business while in liberal policies you don't really need that because they believe that the market will dictate whatever it is because the market, when the people find that your restaurant is very dirty they will not come to you well that's basically what they believe in which is not really always the case But then, but state uh, standardization is controlling or giving standards for the industries and how to operate. And of course, there is import substitution, like let's say for example, uh, what import substitution is, uh, you have a product that is uh, commonly bought in the Philippines or in your country. So instead of promoting that product, you create another substitute. Uh, Let's say for example, uh, what a good substitute. (laughs) uh instead of buying foreign rice which is cheaper so you substitute foreign rice to local rice which is should be not the case but that's really what's happening right now that we buy imported rice because it's it's cheaper than the local rice or or or, okay to give you a better example it's not really a good example uh Instead of buying tomato ketchup, uh, good one. Uh, tomato ketchup, in especially uh, the the branded ones like Del Monte and Heinz, they are very very nice. But in the context of making it in the Philippines, our tomatoes are not really the same as the tomatoes in in Western countries. They're practically very different in form and 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 its features alone, there's so many differences. From the looks of it already, you can tell that tomatoes here are different. So instead of using uh, tomato ketchup, which is imported from other countries, we instead create a substitute. So we use our own banana ketchup. So that's a good example I can give you for import substitutions. And I've mentioned earlier that Gap was like aside from the Bretton Woods system also GATT was was is not present until today and in fact it was replaced by the World Trade Organization it's simply because GATT was unable to keep countries from adopting protectionist policies and particularly on agricultural and textile industries which is the main source of exports from developing countries and it was also not well in settling trade disputes so basically it, it the purpose of GATT existing was not really realized because because the countries prefer trading or before prefer, prefer having tariffs because it it really boosts their economy better because they're putting more money than free trade so GATT was really not well not realized this led to developing countries to establish a new international economic order protect the interests of developing nations, though it was also not successful. So reasons for not being successful is that the General Assembly in the United Nations could not really implement. it, It can't really force these countries that, no, you should do this, you should make your economy like this, you should... Well you can't enforce because of the concept of sovereignty, only it's basically like um, if you want it, you can do it, but you're not required to. Do it. Yeah, we can sign that. We can be a signatories with that, but then they, it's up to you to follow it or not. That's basically it. That's that's like how China also, even though it loses the Hague ruling, it asserts that the Hague ruling is not really that binding because like we don't feel like it's binding. That's basically China's own version. So the general assembly cannot implement uh certain uh liberal policies for trade because it cannot force countries to like say okay be a liberal economy uh, no we don't like to be we, we don't really care you can't force us otherwise that that is an invasion of sovereignty where like we're violating our sovereignty as states and also there were very unsympathetic ideologies in u.s uk and Western Germany which eventually led for the United States to shift policy especially in the 1980s and it is also 1980s that the Philippines experienced the debt crisis so basically we experience how bad the World Bank can be or the IMF can be in terms of the situation So we now go to the period or the era of structural adjustment programs. So before the 1980s, so around the 1960s and the 1970s, since uh, US and European countries are the main players in the economy, there were also the what? so aside from the institutions like World Bank and IMF, who which facilitated the development of certain countries, they also participated and facilitated growth in in capital market so a good example of that would be how how US gave so many foreign direct investments for Japan and Germany for example so FDI is basically so money was loaned to the governments in developing countries from US and European countries so this led to the rise of interest rates in the United States which is a wake-up call for both Lenders and creditors. So, especially when most of the foreign direct investments come from the United States. Like imagine, okay, I want you to develop, and then just give me the, the interest in the future, and then you do that to so many thousands of people until you almost get, uh, you almost run out of money. So, and then they realize, like, instead of you developing, you just led to you just, just turned out to be someone who spends all this money on alcohol. So then you realize that, oh, oh my god, my loans can't be repaid. So that's basically what happened during the 1970s, 1960s, and 1980s. A good also example would be on like how uh, Marcos made his his way in terms of that. Yes, you might argue that, oh, Marcos was the golden age of the Philippine market. But then like, if you look at the GDP, we experienced the debt crisis. This is also the reason why the United States stopped giving foreign direct investments, so stopped giving money to the Philippines, because he realized that the Philippines cannot repay its debt anymore. In fact, it was during the 1980s that the Philippines experienced a very, very low GDP because of debt crisis. This was up until the end of Marcos's regime, and it only rose up again after his, his presidential term. So you might argue that, all of the but marcus made many infrastructures of course that's the role of the president who can you give me one president that has not made uh uh industrial or like uh, infrastructure in fact he he is the one with the most in the longest term and it would be crazy enough for people voting for this kind of person who has not made any infrastructural uh projects so in that span of time he should otherwise there's no way to to see where the money he he is stealing is uh, to be shown so basically basically during the 1960s and 1970s countries like u.s european countries the imf and the world bank were constantly giving the philippines country because it showed that it can develop but later on it it really it eventually seemed to to look into that yes we have made many infrastructures but then we also realize that that our debt is also increasing and then like where is the outcome so why if you believe that this was the golden era of marcos why did he create such a very low gdp why did we experience the 1980s debt crisis so let's say for example he was still the president later on so there's a good chance that we are not able to rise up from from how we failed so you might argue that the first two terms of that precedent was good but of course it's too good to be true and you're not supposed to have a president forever and yeah so whether you like it or not he is really the reason why the 1980s debt crisis happened in the Philippines and a lot of those debt problems are still uh, present until now which makes the Philippines very hard the rise in terms of development. So let's take for example South Korea. Although these presidents were were as corrupt, but it also showed that all the money that um, uh, it also showed that even though this was a harsher political environment, or in fact it's just even as harsh as the Philippines because of corruption, it's still able to develop because it was able to allocate all its funds and also. Uh, made a better return of investment. Unlike the Philippines where most of the money is still unaccounted for right now, especially the money stolen around the 1980s. So it's pretty much difficult for the Philippines to rise up again. But anyway, this is not a topic about that president. But whether you like it or not, he ruined the economy in the 1980s. Whether you like it or not. So if you don't believe me, look up the philippine gdp during that time so google it so 1980s philippine gdp and see for yourself how low that number is so i don't need to explain any more further on that situation so let's continue this then eventually led for the imf to call in and stop giving countries loans especially for those countries that cannot develop philippines for example so this led for the IMF to change or to add its roles that it should ensure countries that they they make structural adjust, adjustments. So what are structural adjustments? Changes in their economy. So in order to avoid recession and ex- inflation. So it entails reducing inflation, government expenditure, and the role of the government should be ascertained. So it also includes liberalization, privatization, and deregulation, and eventually the establishment of the Washington Consensus. So what the Washington Consensus is, is basically, it's not completely like the Bretton Woods Conference, but it's its like the standard of like saying, oh, we are a developing country. The United States is a developed country. For you to become developed too, follow the Washington Consensus. It's like a roadmap or a pamphlet, how to develop your country, but it's not really that completely efficient especially for the developing countries but basically that's it in a in a in a nutshell so and then came the end of the cold war where its new challenge is to integrate these transitional economies so basically the transitional economies are countries that were uh were part of the soviet bloc but then are slowly changing to be capitalist economies so the IMF and the World Bank became deeply involved and and created something that we call a use of condition conditionality that they promote good governance if your country promotes good governance okay we'll give you funding but up until the 1997 the East Asian crisis which also affected the Philippines In fact, most crises affects many countries around the world, but particularly heavy on East Asia, showed that the IMF might have gone too far by imposing conditionality. So that means the countries that they had given conditionalities on were pretty much unable to grasp or to achieve those conditions. So it's pretty much an idea for some of those countries. Plus of course what happened in the 2007-2008 global financial crisis, it further defined the role that not really all the countries can follow the standards given by the IMF in the Washington Consensus. So while the IMF conditionally imposed on East Asian crisis affected states favored less interventionist role for the government. Western countries used government interventionism to recover from the subsequent crisis that hit their economies hard. So the this, that's why this was very difficult for the East Asian countries because they tried to replicate the role of the Washington or the, the method of the Washington consensus where it's more on liberalization but then it did not really work because the, Asia is not is not the West. Uh, simply speaking so the west was able to recover from the east asian crisis but it did not recover from the from the oh, east asia did not recover from the crisis as quickly as the west did and to top it off what happened in the 2008 global financial crisis somehow sealed the deal with with the impression of the conditionality of the imf which really shows that what you're doing is not feasible like it's it's never gonna happen whether you like it or not so and also of course in the 2012 eurozone crisis which also led to the what we now uh, popularly know as the brexit so one of these not really entirely but the 2012 eurozone crisis gave a very strong impact on why britain should remove itself from you so this shows that uh this standard or this very liberal type of uh, global economy is not very much efficient for countries and oh well then you might argue that oh taiwan was able to progress um japan was able to progress south korea was able to progress uh, singapore was able to progress but how about those many many states that were not able to progress that are still filled with uh wars that are still filled with uh proxy conflict from one country to another so how about them are they not part of the criteria are they not showing that what just uh, the system that you're trying to impose of them on them is not really rep- reproducible or replic repli- okay it's not really something that you can make again so while east asian economies were prevented to intervene in the economy to help it recover western countries use massive stimulus package and bailouts on affected firms so so basically how do you call that so like for example when your bank becomes bankrupt because of the financial crisis it will be your country to bail it bail it out to to prevent bankruptcy so which of course reduces the money of that certain country so since the west was able to to rise from that problem so that countries in East Asia were not really or were really having a hard time in solving that crisis they created what we call as the Chiang Mai initiative so it's basically a multilateral arrangement among ASEAN countries including China Japan and South Korea and Hong Kong for the provisional financial support in the US dollar through currency swap transactions so basically for us to to survive from the East Asian crisis so we, we banded together as ASEAN, including non-plus three ASEAN members, China, Japan, Hong Kong, uh, South Korea, to help uh, bail out one country to, from another, especially from financial trouble. So like sharing funds. So let's say for example, uh, your classroom is facing uh, so much problems in debt, or like you say, oh this 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 house is, or oh, my neighbor has not no more food to to eat for the whole month so the people in the how they call it in the city or the barangay give money for the person for him to to support for a certain month month until he gets to have a job and then helps the community as well so whenever somebody faces that problem he will also chip in so it's basically like communal state version service So now it was pretty clear especially in the East Asian crisis that the International Monetary Fund is not really that reliable of an institution. There was still the World Bank who who has like some some sense of merit in the international arena. So the bank enhanced relations with government and non-governmental organizations. So this is where non-governmental organizations were able to take part in the international or the global economy. So apart from these institutions, the world trade organization now started so the wto which is so now we are around 1996 at this time when we're talking about this so so unlike gat where gat is basically limited in trade wto also applies to trade and services and is faster and more automatic to dispute settlements settlement mechanisms less prone to blockage compared to the old gat system so basically world trade organization is Got 2.0. Oh. So their presence is another feature of the contemporary global economy so. <laughs> so sorry so now we go as I've mentioned earlier that since during this time uh, the World Bank introduced like the role of uh, non-governmental organizations this also introduced the role of the multinational corporations to set the, the image of the global economy so their presence is another feature of the global contemporary economy we're almost done with our discussions not to worry it's almost one hour but as i've told you this is a very long discussion so most of the things we use and consume are not mainly owned by one country alone but rather uh, on multinational corporations so what are multinational corporations These are companies or organizations that own or control overseas companies or productions or services facilities in one or more country than their own, their home country. A good example, they're also called as transnational companies and you might be confused later on. So a good example would be McDonald's where it has so many branches all over the world but it's the same McDonald's Starbucks. Basically any international brands that you know of That's likely to be part of an MNC. So MNCs are engaged either in foreign direct investments or FDIs or portfolio investments. So I'm not gonna go go explaining what FDIs and portfolio investments are. So you can look it up on yourselves. And since to to lessen our discussion time, so FDIs basically in a nutshell, this this is money given. Our entry in of money given by states as an entry into a business enterprise from one country to another let's say for example uh, For Jollibee to operate in in UK, so Philippines will give uh, an FDI so, like, so that they will okay We will allow this enterprise to enter our country the portfolio investment is a passive investments on Securities in a host country so basically in forms of stocks and bonds so like they will okay this is our way to show that we are interested in supporting you so we have a portfolio investment multinational corporations are vital for developing countries because they increase the income of host states and they provide jobs especially in in the local level and among others they also create a, a global market that is somehow attainable by the local the local the local people in that area so for example like uh, a good example of that would be 7 um, Eleven. Uh, so, back before 7 Eleven existed in the Philippines, there is no way to really avail of their services. But since because of 7 Eleven branched out, so it, it became better. Alright, so time check. It's already 55 minutes. It's very, very long than my standard 30 minute discussion. So I will just cut short the discussion for now and I will create another one where we will talk about the theories of economic globalization. So it's over. We're almost at the end, so it's going to be a shorter discussion. But I will just give this to you or post it right now so that you can listen all right so thank you everyone for listening again so be sure to listen to the next one so i know this is a very lengthy one so probably you would be staying for more time we can do this on the weekend do the activities where I suggest to download this offline if you have a Spotify premium. But if you don't have, you can tell me and I will give you a copy of this file so that you can download it and listen to it over the weekend since there will be a lot of internet interruptions that will be coming. All right, so thank you for listening. Stay tuned for the next part of this podcast.